Good morning. My name is Hannah, uh, and I get the privilege of being on staff here at Restoration Church, and I am so excited to be sharing this morning. Uh, Like Josh said, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Light in the Dark, and we have been uh, going through a few things leading up to this Christmas season where we've been talking about um, peace and joy and hope, and this morning I get to share about love, which I'm really excited about. Um, in 1 John 4:18, if we could throw that up on the screen, it says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, if this is true, it means that love is powerful, because I think we all know that fear can sometimes be powerful. But this says that love wins. It casts out our fear. But what really is perfect love And is it actually powerful enough to have an effect on the fear that sometimes lives in our lives, in our hearts? Uh, When I was a lot younger, maybe first or second grade, there was this one weekend where my parents were out of town. And my grandma came to stay with my brother and I, and I was looking for some sort of toy or something to play this game. I'm not quite sure what I was looking for. And I was rummaging through my parents' closet. And I was in the closet by myself, and I, I pulled back my like, mom's clothes, and there in front of me were these two shotguns. And immediately, my mind took the obvious leap to the fact that my parents probably weren't who they said they were. They were probably secret agents or bad guys. They weren't my real parents. I was literally convinced that they were probably going to kill me. And I was horrified. And I was like, my grandma's probably in on it. I told my brother to pack a bag. I was like, our house isn't safe. We got to (laughs) go. I called my friend who lived down the street. And I was like, hey, I got to come live with you. And she was like, ah, sorry, I can't play today. And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. And so the weekend goes by, I I didn't leave my house, my parents come home, and I'm horrified. Because I'm thinking, once they know that I know, the secret's out, I'm I'm a goner. I mean, I was horrified. And so I'm sobbing, and they get home, and I won't talk to them, I won't tell them what's wrong. And they're like trying to figure it out. They bring me into their room, and they sit me down in their bed, and they're like, Hannah, just talk to us, like, what's going on? And I'm like, nope, not saying a word. And finally, I muster up the courage, and I'm like, okay, I just just gotta get over this. And I said, all right, tell me the truth why are there guns in the closet? And they both start laughing, and I'm like, oh, they think it's funny that I'm a goner. I mean, I was horrified, okay? And they were like, Hannah, those are like antique shotguns that have been passed down in our family for years. They, they don't even work. You could have asked your grandma. She would have told you the whole history of them. They bring them out and show me, and I'm like, okay, this makes a lot more sense. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. The lie, the story that was running through my head, the narrative that I had created about my parents was that they were not good, that they didn't love me, they didn't care about me, they obviously didn't want or need me, and they weren't who they said they were. That was what I was believing. But the truth about my parents was that they are good, that they did love me, they had my best intentions in mind, they would never hurt me, and they certainly didn't live a double secret agent life. The lie about my parents, it led me to fear. But the truth about my parents led me to a place of love. Love really does triumph over fear. Love is a weapon, and it demolishes fear. And we see this actually really clearly in the Christmas story, in the life of Mary leading up to the birth of Jesus. So we're going to look at uh, Luke 1, 26 through 38 together. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. 
Mary, you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. For I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, let's talk about Mary for just a second. Historians believe that she was pretty young, like maybe around 16 years old, so she's very young. And we know from this that she is engaged or promised to be married to a guy named Joseph. And let's not pass over this encounter that she has with an angel of the Lord. Like, it's not a big deal. We don't know what that exactly looked like, but my guess is it was kind of terrifying. And obviously the news that this messenger of the Lord had to deliver to her was quite literally world-changing, and not just for Mary, for everyone. And a little bit more context, a girl in this culture who became pregnant out of wedlock, they would have been terrified. They would have been afraid of being punished. Um, Sometimes they were stoned to death or sold into slavery. Often someone that got pregnant out of wedlock would run away, would leave their families, their communities um, for fear of what the punishment might be, for the shame that might come with that. In this culture, um, society was set up for children to be born within, and and genealogy and ownership of a child, it it was really important. So like I said, a girl who was pregnant outside of wedlock would have been terrified. But notice what Gabriel says before he goes into his spiel about what exactly is going to happen. He says to her, do not be afraid. How? How is this possible? I mean, she has all the reasons in the world to be afraid. But when we look at the way Mary responds, it doesn't seem like she is. She actually responds really powerfully and with a boldness and a willingness and an obedience. She's like, yeah, let it, let it be done. I think that Mary has a choice here. And I think it had to have been derived from what she knew to be true about the Lord. I mean, think about it. If Mary believed that God was in the business of punishing people for their mistakes, she might have thought that when Gabriel told her that this was going to happen, she might have thought, why me? What what did I do to deserve this? I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what the punishment is going to be. The fear of God's character might have left her feeling more like a victim than in a position of honor. If she would have believed that God was not in control or not sovereign, she probably would have not been okay not knowing all the details. How is Joseph going to respond? How is my family or my friends or my community going to respond to this? What is raising the Savior of the world going to look like? I mean, that fear would have left her paralyzed. If she believed God to be untrustworthy or unfaithful, the fear of these spoken promises that Gabriel says to her probably would have been combated by a voice in her head saying, you can't believe that. There's no way that's possible. That's not true. And why would he pick you? What's so special about you? But none of this is how Mary responds. Uh, As this account continues, we actually get to see a little bit more of Mary's heart. And this is verses 46 through 55. And this passage of scripture is actually called Mary's Song. We're going to look at it together. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one who has done great things for me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You see, Mary's song is an anthem of praise. It's a declaration of God's character, and she takes a moment to recognize and remember the things that God has done. See, if Mary would have believed lies about who her father was, she would have been left in fear. But instead, she proclaims truth about who her father is, and that leads her to a place of being able to rest in his love. And this is how Mary is able to fight fear. She knows the heart and the character of God, and she proclaims truth about him and finds comfort and peace in resting in that love. And here's the thing. God is love. It is only his perfect love that can cast out our fears, even in seemingly impossible situations like the one she might have felt like she was in. A.W. Tozier, who's a pastor and an author, has this quote. Um, It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Well, that changes everything, right? What we believe to be true about God, it's going to change what we do with our lives, what we do with our resources, how we handle our thoughts, what we say, how we treat people. It will change everything. So what do we believe to be true about God and his love? Uh, Looking back at 1 John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears uh, is not made perfect in love. And honestly, we don't really often like to quote the second part of this verse about fear having to do with punishment, right? It's not as catchy. It doesn't feel as good. But recently, I came to terms with this a little bit. I was feeling discouraged, honestly, about like a few things in life and ministry, and a few little things added up, and it just left me feeling a little discouraged. And it left my mind kind of spiraling in this way of made me thinking like, man, maybe I'm missing out on something. Maybe there's something that God hasn't given me, like a gift, an ability, a boldness, a a talent. Maybe there's something that I'm missing out on, or maybe he's even intentionally withholding something from me. And it left me afraid that I was missing something, or that maybe I was being punished for something. And it just left me in this moment of discouragement and fear, honestly. I then sat in this and thought, okay, wait, what am I believing to be true about God right now? Because this was kind of in my prep for this uh, message. And I started to think about it, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not believing him to be good. I'm not believing him to be loving. I'm not believing him to be trustworthy or present or at work. I'm not believing his forgiveness to be all-powerful in my life right now. And then I don't know how to explain it, but I was in this moment of praying about this, and I felt this overwhelming sense of the Lord saying to me, I understand you. I see you, and I know you. And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I want the truth. I want the truth about who God is. That's what I want to rest in right now. And I started thinking about, okay, what is the truth about God? The truth is that he's good, that he's loving, that he's present, that he is at work, that his mercies are new every morning, and that he's the one that understands me even when I don't understand myself. And resting in his love, the truth about his love, it not only started to change my thoughts from spiraling down to spiraling up, but it changes my actions, right? You see, resting in his perfect love, it propels us to do what we're called to do with confidence and boldness and no fear of punishment. When fear enters in, when thoughts of, I might be being punished for something, start to creep in, when you are paralyzed with anxiety, when you are heartbroken, when you don't know if you can believe that God is a good father, when you don't feel lovable, forgivable, 
redeemable, that is the moment to stop and ask, what am I believing to be true about the heart of God right now? What am I believing about how he sees me, how he feels about me, what he thinks about me? Because lies about your father will lead to fear. The truth about your father, the truth about his love, it leads to a place of love and freedom because his love, it shatters our fears. When we start to bask in the truth of his love for us, it is a weapon towards our fears. When we are so inundated, so overwhelmed with the true character of God, with how the Father sees us, how he loves us, how he feels about us, fear doesn't stand a chance. You see, a few verses before 1 John 4:18, we have uh, verses 7 through 10. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Can I just encourage you? If you are ever wondering how the father feels about you, what the truth is about how he sees you, how he feels about you, can you stop and think about Jesus? I mean, the Father had so much compassion and love for you that he was not comfortable with not doing anything about the problem of sin that he sent his one and only son on a rescue mission to come and get us, to make a way for us to have a relationship with the God of the universe without fear of condemnation or punishment. And that's how the Father feels about you. He has this attitude of, I am coming to get my son or daughter, whatever it takes, whether it's sacrifice, suffering, even death on a cross. He's saying, I'm coming, I want you, I love you. That's how he feels about you. That's the truth about how the God of the universe sees you, feels about you, thinks about you. Nothing you could ever do could change God's heart for you. And uh, we see this in verse 10. We honestly don't have that much to do with this equation. If you could put those verses back on here. In verse 10, it says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This doesn't have too much to do with us. It's all about God. He's the only one who can love us in a way that is perfect, holy, unblemished, untainted, uncorrupted, in a way that is selfless. And our actions, our feelings, our emotions, our circumstances, they don't change that. They don't change the way he feels about us. That's the truth. Now, what do we do with this? Think back to Mary in her moment of having to decide what she believed to be true about God as she entered into something unknown, scary, even hard. It changed everything, the way that she proclaimed truth about who the Father is. She chose to sing praises to the Lord even before she knew what any of it was going to look like, how any of it was going to play out. She reflected on God's character and that lended her the ability to rest in his perfect love and that casted out her fear. So there's two questions for us to think about this morning. The first one is this. Are you living out of fear or are you living out of perfect love that casts out all fear? You see, when we live out of fear, we are not stepping into the life that God has for us. Fear keeps us from our calling. It is a scheme of the enemy that keeps us at arm's length away from what the Lord has for us and it robs us of power because love is powerful. This is why Jesus lived a life of so much power. He was so inundated with the truth about how his father felt about him and loved him that that gave him a confidence and a boldness that no one could ever take away from him. 
He never once doubted or questioned what the father thought of him or how he felt about him. And the second question, what are you believing to be true or not true about the character of God right now? What comes into your mind when you start to think about God? Is it true? Because it's important. Now, we also wanted to end today with a, a practice, something to do. And when we were reading out of 1 John 4, we stopped at verse 10. But verse 11 is really beautiful as well. So we're going to look at that together. It says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, loving others, it gets to be our response, our overflow of resting in the perfect love that God has for us. A few verses down in verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. You see, when we are so rested in the perfect love that the Father has for us, it actually frees us up to go and love other people because we're not running around looking for it in the wrong places. And so this morning, we are going to do something fun, and we have a tangible way of practicing loving and serving others. And I believe Josh is going to come up and tell us a little bit more about us. So that is all I have for us this morning.